0: Blog Talk Radio.
1: The Marketing Technology Blog Radio Show. With Douglas Carr, founder of the Marketing Technology Blog and author of Corporate Blogging for Dummies. Online marketing strategies, web, search, social, email, mobile news tips, tricks, and best practices. From actual marketers, search professionals, and social media experts.
0: Hey, happy
2: Friday, everybody. We're here at DK New Media, uh, and we have, of course, a fun show ahead of us. Uh, It might be an improper show, too. We might, might, uh... (laughs) We're talking about Romans. We're talking about Romans. It could get get a little bit (laughs) nuts. Um... Well, you know what? I'm gonna let you guys introduce yourselves. That that that's always a nicer thing to do. So uh, first, um, who am I? Why am I here? So Stockdale. <laughs> I saw that that made yeah. the news lately. Um, but you guys have recently written a book. Uh, I'm gonna. This is everybody has to try to guess who it is without looking at our website. Um, and uh, it's a fascinating book. Uh, I read it. I got to read it early. Have you made changes to it since I read it?
3: Uh, there's a little bit more there yet. Oh,
4: probably yeah. probably three times as big as what you read. Are you serious? Yeah, absolutely. You read about blogging. You read about Twitter and what else?
0: Uh, Facebook, big face yep.
4: social networks, Basically. and blogging.
2: Yeah. Well, this radio yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Now, good friends of the show, go ahead and introduce yourself.
2: Uh, I'm Ryan Brock. Uh,
4: I am the founder and CEO of Metonymy Media. It's a group of uh, literary geeks who have turned to professional copywriting. And uh, that's, I guess,
3: my component of this book. Absolutely. And I'm Mohammed Yassin. I've been here a couple of times before. I'm the director of marketing for ATC Medical Insurance Services, a tribal medical insurance company. And I specialize in mainly social media marketing.
2: And what made you want to write this book? Well, wait. First, tell everybody what the book is. Yes. Okay. Great. So we'll probably probably share on this. one. So the book
3: is about storytelling and social media. And what Ryan and I were going to look at really was kind of the history of storytelling and how that related to modern social media, um, how marketing and content marketing in particular goes back for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years, um, and how many of the things that we think are really fresh nowadays are, in, in essence, a remix of what's been done for thousands of years.
4: Uh, And I think I'll jump in now and say that the name of the book is Nothing New, An Irreverent History of Storytelling and Social Media. We haven't said that yet. Probably get that out of there. Uh, That's an e-book on Amazon.com. And actually, I just... Saw that if you search just new. the first thing that pops up
3: now. That is, that's cool. We are nothing new. Uh, but
0: yeah, <laughs> um,
2: I've seen
0: search. Yes,
2: I'm gonna search for nothing. And oh. there we are,
4: in your face, a picture of Augustus. But uh, there, I, I, Mohammed and I work together a lot. You know, he's a social media guy, and I'm a storyteller. I'm a writer who works with other writers, and you know, storytelling is a big part of pretty much everything on the web. The web is content, you know, content marketing. It's, I, I approach all of this stuff, not from a business background or a marketing background, but from a literary background. From I've studied classics. I've studied uh, philosophy and literature. And uh, so when Muhammad comes to me and says, hey, it might make good sense for us to work on a book together. I said, okay, but I, you know, and Mohammed he said this as well. So it's not just me. I said, I have no desire to write a tips book on how to do social media. I don't want to tell people, how to use their Twitter accounts, that is of no interest to me. Instead, I want to have conversations about what storytelling looks like on the web today, you know, drawing connections between storytelling as I understand it and, you know, as you know, looking at, at the tools that someone like Muhammad would use, seeing the connections between people like Muhammad and people like me and then also people like uh, the poet Virgil or, you know, Julius Caesar or I guess Caesar or uh, William Shakespeare. Beer fat. And you know, so we started talking, and the connections were just very, very obvious. And we kind of
3: took that idea and ran with it. No, absolutely. I think it's a really fresh perspective on the topic as well. Like you know, where I mentioned, we really did not want to write a book that was the next big you know twenty ways to be amazing on Twitter or blog or whatever it was, whatever it may be because. You know, folks like I mean, yourself really blazed that trail and when oh. it comes you did, honestly. <laughs> and when it comes to you know, a lot of the books that are coming out recently, you know, you came out in the time when it was really you were you were blazing that trail now it's everyone and their mothers writing the next social media tips book and there's just too many of them out there. Um also there was a, this big gap on uh People saying you need to do it this way, everything else is wrong. Right. And I think we both felt very strongly that that was a inappropriate stance to take yep. um, when it came to storytelling, when it came to social media, because everyone's different, and the messages that they need to tell, the goals that they have, and also the audience that they're that they're um, speaking it's,
2: with. It's what I fell in love with with that book, honestly, and why I really loved it when I read it. Um, I've been saying that from the beginning. I've been calling BS on everybody that says, well, you're doing it wrong. You're doing it wrong. You're doing it wrong. Because if it's getting results for you and you have an audience and you have expectations, um, then you're not doing it wrong. Absolutely. It's it's working for you. And, you know, sometimes
4: I, I think it's difficult. because You have to remember that people who are on social media talking about social media are marketers. They're social media Absolutely. people whose entire career is built around the idea of having hundreds and thousands of people following their every word, consuming their content. So, you know, when I get on on Twitter and I see a social media expert or a marketing expert say, oh, I just saw that this account is set to private. If you have your Twitter account set to private, you might as well not even be on Twitter. But that person who's so used to... Delivering content that people forgets that, you know, especially if you look into the past, the way people have consumed information, especially through, you know, television, radio in, in recent years, um, more people are consuming content than creating it. And, yes, the Internet has leveled the playing field and has allowed people to create content, but there are so many ways you can use a private Twitter account. You know, there are so many ways you can derive value from Twitter by not being a broadcaster, by having right. a small audience and talking directly to them or just simply, connecting with brands, with outlets that you want to hear from and finding a way to hear from that. And, you know, in my mind, if we start talking about things like privacy, which I don't want to get into quite yet, but, you know, it looks a lot like back in the day when someone like Benjamin Franklin and his brothers started a little newspaper and they start saying horribly offensive things about all these people in Boston. And to them, it's sort of like, well, we're just printing this because we want to talk. It's, mm-hmm. it's like a project for. We want us. our voice heard. Yeah. But you know, when you print something on paper, it's gonna get out. You can't say that because I publish something, it belongs to me. It's just mine. People are gonna read it. And so, you know, you you look at the fact that technology actually can allow some people to put some privacy on what they do. I mean, it, it's it's cool. It's an advancement, and it's not something that we should say is wrong. You know? Well,
2: mm-hmm. and and you hit a you hit a really good point and that's if I'm a social media guru, if you will, and I've got 50,000 followers on Twitter, that's a lot different than if I own a four-tile company. <laughs> mm-hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> and you and know how I'm going to leverage
3: it. that. Um, they get into kind of this this, this almost wrong of saying, okay, well, I'm going to bring a social media expert in, um, and that social media expert just fills their account up with 50,000 followers. But what they're not looking at is what is the value of those followers? What's the story I'm telling those followers? How am I interacting with those individuals? And what value am I getting out of them, you know, as a business? First of all, what is my goal with those followers in the first place? And then second of all, am I meeting that goal? And, you know, having just 50,000 random followers for your, you know, plumbing business, this local to Indianapolis or whatever it may be, may not be the best fit for what you're trying to accomplish. And
2: I, I think... Uh, on the same track, a social media consultant, if you will, uh, has a brand that is that person. Absolutely. You know, that female or that male. That's a lot different than saying, um, you know, I think I'm going to build a community and build engagement around my, you know, coffee. Right. Right. Exactly. <laughs> that's it that's is. Like so, a totally
3: different, it's uh, a small, localized right. kind of you know, more old school conversation that you just happen to be having online with a small group of people that you hope will engage and, you know, love your brand.
4: Ironically, though, when we use terms like old school, we have to think, how old school are we talking? Because I think if you look at the great history of communication, in the West anyway... um, when you say old school conversation you're referring to campfire stories you're referring to marketers vendors out on the street selling their wares to people you're talking about back in the day when communication happened one on one but yep. you know in this culture, especially when it comes to selling something like coffee for instance uh, we are viewing how marketing works through the lens of people like Don Draper you know we are imagining as a people, that marketing something like coffee is like what happens on Mad Men. You know, you sit around a room and you have a group of intelligent people tell you, as the consumer, what the story is with this product. They tell you how the coffee is going to make you feel. They tell you why you need that coffee and why it's better than the rest. And that advertisement they create is a story. But now... We're getting back to a time when storytelling was interactive, when campfire tales involved more than one person, that, you know, brands are no longer having to create this story and tell people, this is who you want to be. Instead, they can go out and say, who are you? Let's make you a part of our story.
3: Show that changes things. Right, exactly. or, let's, or let's craft stories that we want told about us. The way we talking about, we actually talked about it a lot, even in the in the book. I think one of my my favorite chapters really was um, where we were talking about Caesar and how he kind of used content marketing to kind of cement himself, you know, his powers. Um, you know, and Ryan, as he mentioned, had a lot of history and kind of ancient Greek literature and that sort of thing. So I think that was something that even as we were talking through these concepts, he looks like Thor. He does kind of look like Thor. You're right. I have no idea how to
2: respond to that. <laughs> So it's just our topic to the book. Like we were,
3: <laughs>
2: <laughs> it's radio. <laughs> <laughs> just say you
0: can do it more like Tacitus. Uh, so, like, I'd say
4: Yeah.
0: Oh no. Okay. Well,
4: I think but, about, yeah, like okay. So we got. I think one of the first things we talked about was the the Aeneid. It was mm-hmm. Caesar because we said, okay, let's write a book about, you know, blogging and social media. And so, like, the conversation would go like this. Muhammad would say, I want to talk about what it means to engage people through storytelling. And the first place that our mind went was probably uh, to blogging, you know. Blogging and, and having meaningful content is a central part of any social media strategy, or it should be. Um, and so we start talking and people, you know, content marketing, blogging, to
3: all the rage.
4: And, and it's what we want to tell ourselves that we came up with this, that we are brilliant. And in my mind, uh, you know, I've studied Latin for several years. I have translated almost the entirety, I'd I say pretty much the entirety of a from Latin into English. Um, and am very close with texts like this. And, when you look at these stories, and now the Aeneid, background for the the listeners, uh, it is sort of like the Roman take on the Iliad, on the story of the Trojan War, in which we identify the Romans with the defeated Trojans, and a guy named Aeneas who escaped from Troy as the Greeks were destroying it. And so it sort of sets up uh, this mythology in which Aeneas, who is the son of the goddess Venus, becomes the founder of Rome through his offspring. And so essentially it's working to both draw parallels between Aeneas and this brand new first ever emperor, Augustus, and also to say that Augustus, being a Caesar, uh, is through Aeneas related to the gods, and so that is why he has power, because Rome was going through a time of civil war for decades following the death of Julius Caesar. And they'd never been an empire before. I guess this was the first emperor of Rome. And so now you suddenly have an emperor who has to convince the people, I am worthy of being your leader. I have a reason to be your leader. So he goes to to the poet Virgil and says, let's tell a story just like Homer would have told. And, you know, the Romans loved the Greeks. They loved the epic poem. They loved the structure of it, the the town. But let's do the same thing because we know they love it. Let's tell them that I'm related to the gods, and that you know Trojans founded Rome, and that there's a reason I'm here. And it worked. And he, with content marketing, was able to sway an entire empire, and they fell in love with him. And there was a great peace for many years. And it was the start of a new entire government based on one poem and content marketing. It's an awesome story. And
0: it's, uh, and it's
2: uh, a couple things. Um, a couple things of note. They didn't pay attention to the medium, right? They paid attention to the story. But it was because A little bit they of loved the medium. Right. Right. But but I mean, the, and when I'm talking medium, I'm I'm saying like paper. I'm not saying mm-hmm. style of writing exactly. or anything else. In
4: fact, more than anything, they were probably hearing this spoken,
2: so they were focused exactly. on the words, not on the, right. the vessel. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And and I think early in the days of social media and with blogging, so much attention was given to the to the platforms. And to the you know how do you leverage WordPress? How do you leverage Twitter? How do right, you, know, right. you know instead of people saying, wait a second, how am I going to strike up a conversation with these people? What am I going to say that's interesting and that's going to engage them? How am I going to sway them in my direction?
3: Exactly.
0: You know
2: they, they they started asking all of the wrong questions. We we have we have a client that that literally we help them with you know search engine optimization on a on a continued basis and they have a they have a, a journalist, a literally a journalist that works with them. Um he's the editor, you know, of their site. And every once in a while he'll chime in and he'll say, Well, you know, if if you were gonna tell me that we should focus on these ten cities of these ten keywords or if you're really can of no piece that captures people's attention on this topic, which one would you pick? and I go, well, I'd pick compelling every single time mm-hmm. no no you know i say i don't ever want you to sacrifice the story that you're telling to try to make it squeeze and fit into this you know, into this strategy, into this medium. No, the wrong direction.
3: Absolutely. Really what you're talking about is, you know, kind of this a, a level set for all of us as online marketers because we can get very easily into the thought pattern of, well, this is the keyword or this is the search trend for this month or this is the specific, like, geolocation I need for this right. item and, the, and this is the media I'm going to be doing that in. I'm going to be using this on Facebook or Twitter or my blog and say, okay, now, let me write the message. When in reality, you need to have kind of a, almost a mixture of the two, but starting at a little bit of a higher point, saying, okay, well, what is my story first? It's a message I'm trying to get across. And then, after that, go ahead
2: and choose the and, platforms that best meet that message. What, and that's happened to your point, right? It right. Said, how are we going to get full to me? How are we going to change the direction of this country? How are we going to, you know, obviously get people to worship me, you know, one way or another? Well no, no, literally worship. Literally worship. No. And then, what kind of techniques can we utilize that we know have worked in the past?
4: And that's where I wanted to jump in, because you're talking about vessel, um, you know, and how you deliver a message. I think there's actually two different metaphors going on here. You're right. Number one you can compare the papyrus or the stone or the voices of the people that they use to write, and I think those compare to blogging exactly. or to uh, leveraging Twitter. Beyond that, that, right. that, with that paper, you can choose to present and, and organize your information any way you'd like. And so right. to jump off of what Mohammed said about how you kind of craft your story first, then you sort of let the, the vessel inform what you do, I think that's exactly... Right. We're not saying that, you know, you should ignore keywords. You should ignore you know, learning about your followers. Right. Because it was because they chose to write the Aeneid exactly as Homer wrote the Odyssey and the Iliad that the Romans found with it because they had a huge culture crush on the Greeks. And so it's a lot like Day, you see all over the place complaining uh, about top 10 lists. Or, you know, mm-hmm. posts in my world are, are like a huge point of contention because if I'm writing blog posts, if I'm writing articles for the web, on 9 out of 10, my mind is going to go to how can I get this into a list post? And so many people get tired of that. So many people right. say uh, that's, that's cheap, it's, it's lazy, it's, it's junk food. It's, right, it's junk food. But here's the, the thing is, in the day, in the internet, on these social platforms, on uh, WordPress or Blogger on Tumblr on Twitter Facebook, uh, if the list post is what people are comfortable with, if it fits nowadays, if it allows for easy reading and quick skimming, if it kind of keeps your interest and doesn't allow your your writer to get too vague, but to just focus on these items, if that fits with the modern man, the same way that the epic poem structure fit with the Roman man, then uh, I say go for it. I say. Right. You learn how to craft a really compelling story for blogs in that list post format, but just give the story the credit that it needs.
3: No, right? absolutely, and, and you know and along with that, if you're looking at kind of the list post, which people look at as kind of the yeah the the junk food of the blogging world, but it's not something that is just specific to you know blogging. It's something that is also used commonly and has been for years in regular publications. Right. Look at the front of Men's Health. Look at the front of a GQ or something yeah. like that. You're always going to see a list post as one of the, the like the main articles, you know, on that particular magazine. You know, right. And people five ways to have rock hard abs. You know, or I'm looking at GQ right here. They have a step by step guide for the. Do you need clothes. to do that?
2: Because I can tell yeah. you, <laughs> <laughs> somewhere underneath all of this is the rock hard. Is rock hard. It's, okay. just, it's just interesting to me. Because it works.
3: It's been working for it years. Works. people works like talks to, to in that manner. It talks
4: to the way people consume content nowadays. It speaks to that. And, you know, to throw in another historical reference, look at the sonnets of Shakespeare. They're all laid out exactly the same. You know, they follow
2: the well, same structure and everything. Let's talk Shakespeare. Let's take a little break, and then when we get back, we'll talk Shakespeare.
1: Delivera has been providing email software and professional services for more than 13 years. Delivera helps businesses and organizations execute effective email marketing campaigns by providing dynamic software and professional services from full-out consulting engagements to help when you need it in areas such as design, production, deliverability, and testing voted one of the 2011 best places to work in Indiana and one of Inc. 5000's fastest growing companies. Deliberate partners with businesses and organizations across all industries and verticals and truly opens its doors each and every day to put the customer first. To learn more about Delivera, visit www.delivera.com or call 866-915-9465. Tell them you heard about Delivera from the Marketing Technology Blog.
5: Each and every week, you get bombarded with hundreds of emails, dozens of meetings, countless requests, updates, and reminders, and a deluge of -of out-of-control deadlines and tasks. More information and distraction means less communication, which affects your productivity, efficiency, and your sanity. At MindJet, we offer the tools to help you get the job done. MindJet takes that information overload and organizes it visually in terms people can understand and shares it with those who actually need it. Work fast, work smart. Go to MindJet.com to learn more.
1: Marketing tech blog listeners meet Right On Interactive. Right On Interactive is a marketing automation company that helps organizations win, keep, and grow business. They do this through a lifecycle marketing solution that builds engagement throughout the life cycle of every prospect and customer. Recognized as a top-ranking marketing automation solution with a hands-on implementation strategy, Right On Interactive provides an engagement blueprint for sales and marketing teams so they see where to invest their resources to drive revenue. Engagement drives relationships, and relationships drive revenue. This is why nurturing relationships is key. Lifecycle marketing from Right On Interactive. It's the next evolution of marketing automation. To learn more, visit RightOnInteractive.com. Email info at
2: all right, welcome back everybody so so you're gonna talk Shakespeare. Shakespeare is not something that's near and dear to my heart, but I will add i I read a book a long time ago called uh I think it was called the Queen's English and it was a a fascinating book because I butcher the English language. my grammar is atrocious if there wasn't self check I would misspell all the time um I, I I Eric Deckers always catches my grammatical uh Uh, crimes I would say because they they really truly are crimes but I was reading this book on on the Queen's English and they went back through the history of English basically and and first it's it's this convoluted language that went through these series of French French and you know English and, and whoever conquered who you know threw in words at the time but Shakespeare was a fascinating section of the book because people don't realize this but Shakespeare made up Thousands Everything. of Absolutely. words, almost every thousands idiom you words. use nowadays. Green with envy, you know.
4: That's yeah. not, he just totally made that up, right.
2: out of nowhere. You know, he does it all the time. And so, whenever he couldn't find a word that described what he was talking about, he made one up. Yep, on the spot. Why not? <laughs>
4: What's interesting about Shakespeare? Um, about common structures and how you know some people say they're bad because they cause laziness. Uh, who would call Shakespeare's sonnets lazy? Who would say exactly. because he wrote all these sonnets in the exact same you know, meter and format that they're lazy? In fact, there's a lot to be said, and the people of the day were attracted to the way that the man could fit completely different stories and different ideas into the exact same structure. And mm-hmm. anyone who says that that's lazy uh, when, when it comes to top ten posts uh, just doesn't know what they're talking about, especially if they happen to like pop music at all, because every Beatles mm-hmm. song, hate to say it, is exactly the same as every other Beatles song. Right. You know, every Katy Perry song the Beatles, is the same as every uh, kid. <laughs> love, and one other word were, like, the top <laughs> words in the song. Right. And, and like, cool. top words, I mean, you, you deal with two or the the three uh, keys,
3: you know,
4: you you the same, you know, verse, chorus, pre-chorus, verse, chorus, you know, it's, it, it's just... Pop music is pop music is pop music, and so you see that it's. We don't even realize it. We love it so much, but I think in so many ways we depend on that structure to consume stuff. We don't. Our
3: minds don't want to have to learn a new format every time we see a movie. You know? Well, we depend on the structure because we trust it. It works for us. You know, whether it's a creative product that you're providing, like a blog post or a song or whatever else it may be, or it's a you know this table that's in front of us. If we if everyone was just creative about how they created it, every time they made the table. Wouldn't have that consistency there. Okay. Your table might not work quite as well as it does, but people have a format. They're following the rules. They're providing a great piece of, you know, a great product to the person that's asking. For it and creating that written content. Others, well, you need to give them a product that they know is consistent, that they can enjoy, that gives them value, and you know, using these structured formats like a list post or whatever else it may be is a way to give that, you know, that 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 consistent. Uh, product There's a way to meet
4: consumer. them halfway, to say, we understand what you're looking for. And that's not to say that, I mean, I, I saw a video once that was hilarious. It was uh, what it might have looked like the first time Quentin Tarantino shopped Pulp Fiction to a studio. They're like, and it's got these executives, and they're like, hey, we love your story, but we noticed your script was out of order. <laughs> right. And we fixed it for you, though, and it's great. We're going to make a fantastic movie. And just like... You know that movie would have not been really interesting at all if you took everything and put it in the correct order. Right. But you know, it, we notice like it's a big deal when someone just
3: maybe chronologically messes with how a movie flows. Like we're that's not a, used that's to that. That's also professional. That you have to know the rules before you can break them. Yeah, he yeah. knew the rules. He's pro at it. He can mix them up and make something even greater. But you gotta learn the rules first.
2: Well, and you have to know your audience, which is going to dictate those rules. Absolutely. Right? Um, there's some blogs that I read that. I know it's going to be a you know three page. Uh, it's going to take me fifteen twenty minutes to get through, and I expect that from that publication. Yep. And there's other ones that it's a snippet. I I know that I'm going to go there. What you came there for? Yeah, and years. that's what I came there for. And and I think that's the important thing is understanding. With Marketing Tech Blog I think is a is a is a great example because it's you know seven years seven years now. Oh wow which is a lifetime on the web. It really is. Um, it started as my kind of personal blog, and then it and then it evolved. And if you go back to those old days, I talked, in, you know, I, I ranted about, you know, everything. And what I found over time was, um, I used to write, you know, 500, 600, work posts, you know, 1,200 sometimes consistently. What I found over time was, wow, when I write like this, more people respond, more people mm-hmm. share it, more people appreciate it. And and so it wasn't that I started filtering what I was saying. It was that I started to meet people's expectations a lot better exactly. along the way. Exactly. And that's what grew the blog. It wasn't, uh, um, I didn't give up anything. I didn't did I change my styles. Absolutely, I changed my styles. I changed my style based on, what people had come to expect of it. And I I think that's still an important thing. What's funny is I can write list posts and infographic posts. They get tons of traction and everything else. My audience still loves it when I rant. They (laughs) love it when I go off, you know? Um, And so, but it's, very few and far between that I do cuz I want to make sure right, right, if I'm going right. off I'm I'm going to make sure it's entertaining, powerful, funny, um insulting exactly <laughs> you know, exactly the exactly. works and so I save those up you know it's like once a month I'll just go off on a tangent on something and it's amazing I get overwhelmingly positive response from that. Um, but people don't go there every day to get that. No, they don't. Yeah. They don't. They want it
3: every once in a while, and it's a mixture not only of the, you know, the, the, the end reader that you are serving, and, but also of you know, your brand as well, right. your personal brand, your company brand, and kind of what people expect when they come to you. And I, I admit, yes, it works out amazingly well for you might not work out as well for me at work at the insurance company to yeah. <laughs> <laughs> do that on the company blog. <laughs> yeah, that's
0: you know? Yeah.
3: <laughs> But it works out amazingly for you because that, you know, when you're in that particular medium with that particular consumer in that particular place, it's the right story, the right message to tell. us. really paying attention to what that story is and where you're telling it, I think, is really important.
2: We've, we've had a couple of people on there, too, that absolutely despised what I've said about something sometimes, and I've invited them to write. I'm, mm-hmm. I, I, you know, go ahead and write your own comeback and mm-hmm. get it up there. And that's
4: what's amazing about today versus, you know, maybe 300 years ago. When, to reference again, like the Franklins, like uh, 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 Benjamin Franklin, his older brother, and they're they're publishing just slander against you know, during during colonial like the, the 17 1720s colonial Boston. There are a lot of issues. Uh, one in particular was was with vaccinations. Priests were saying it was of the devil. You know, other people were saying it's good we need to do them. Uh, the Franklins uh, hated the, the clergy, and you know, at the time, speaking against the clergy is not necessarily something you want to do. It's right. not good for your personality or for your uh, uh, what's we're looking for uh, reputation. Right. But they did it And what's interesting though is at the time, only like three newspapers operated in Boston, so it wasn't quite so easy for the people they were attacking. To then engage in any kind of a discourse, it was sort of one-sided, and the people who had the technology at the time—that was a printing press—were the ones who got to talk. Now we all have the technology; we all have a chance to talk, and so it's really cool to hear stories like that. It's interesting to hear what it's like when you know that sort of audience, that sort of platform, can be given to both sides of a debate.
2: Well, it's quite honestly, uh, you know, the parallels there are intriguing because when I look at journalism and I look at newspapers. I, I always think it's funny when a journalism like totally disses a blogger you know, and says, you know, these freaking bloggers that are ruining right. everything. Now, in my personal, I absolutely respect journalists. I can be uh, absolutely definitive, you know, in journalism and blogging because they'll work a long time, research a topic for a long time, try to take an objective view. I don't have to do any of that. I can right. look, I can look up an article or a video, write five minutes about it, and slam it, you know, <coughs> and get it out there to my audience. But it's funny me that now journalists, you know, have this negative connotation of bloggers when that's exactly the way they started. Right. They exactly. They started exactly. with the neighborhood printing <coughs> press and publishing slander. And it was because they yeah. started like that that they are who they are today. Okay. I Absolutely. mean, people learned from the
4: Franklin's mistakes. That, yeah. that paper lasted... Arguably for four or five years, but like they were only printing for a fraction of that because they just kept getting shot down by the colonial government. They're saying you cannot do this. And interestingly enough, not only is that why journalism has developed the way it is, people learn you can't just go slandering people. You have to have rules. You have to Mm -hmm. have, or you're never going to be respected. Um, But I mean, Benjamin Franklin was 16 years old at the time. It's no mistake that freedom of press is protected by the U.S. Constitution because people like him saw the need for people to be able to yeah. speak out against their government. And he saw what happened when the government had the right to shut it down. So whether or not you agree with what the folks were saying, uh, it's clear that that made an impact on him. that being part of the rebel gang was just sort of saying whatever they wanted uh, with him through his old age and probably affected a lot of people's time. Mm-hmm. And that's why we have rights we have today. So just uh, there's a lot of connections there, a lot of that's history. That's we'll see long. how
2: long they last. <laughs> 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 I mean, it, it is pretty scary, you know, like the last 10 years, I'd say, you know, a lot more journalists are coming under a lot more fire and a lot more, you know, people that write things, you know, uh, it's, it's... Well, a- I think we have another, we have, you know, kind of this,
3: another age of the flame posts or yeah, yeah. article, not only in blogging, it become very, that, you know, maybe sure. it's slightly slanderous with some individuals, but you see the same thing in journalism as well, as people start to get more and more on the fringes to appeal to certain audiences, whether that be on the right or on the left or whatever it may be. Um, and there will be a point where you get back to Benjamin Franklin, like, you know what? We need some rules again here. Let's get ourselves under control. Yeah. But you have to go yeah. to the edges to understand that you're there before yeah. you can get back to the center and kind of,
2: kind of I I you know, I, right. I um, hope we did. I, I mean, it seems that the- It's going to be harder this time around, though, because it was printing press. Now we have Twitter. The great thing that we have now is we don't have three neighborhood newspapers. Now we have billions of sources.
3: Every individual has their own. Right. Small And news so,
2: so I can go research whatever I want through all the websites. Extremes on both sides. Mm-hmm. The the bad part of it is the amount of lazy people that we have. That right. It so requires
0: to the check. Right. right. You know. Uh, What's your source? Yeah.
4: <laughs> yeah. So that's because I mean, you look at. You know, a generation prior to everyone in this room, there's a lot of distrust of things like Facebook. You know, I want—I don't want to be able to—I don't want to put my stuff out there. I want it to be private. And then Facebook uh, comes under fire for doing things like making public the pages you like or the place you live. And in the book, we talk a lot about the reading fact your that, private messages. Right. Yeah, you know they're doing, it, they're doing that Still yeah, today. Yep. obvious <laughs> about it, though. The i to make isn't good when you bring that up. But, <laughs>
0: I'm going to defend
4: them for a second. We did in the book, I mean, we talked about the fact that clearly they need to make money, and the way they do that is by giving valuable market information to advertisers. you know, and that makes sense. Um, but you'll hear out there talking about how it's like a personal or maybe a corporate mission of Facebook to lend some visibility to the web, some transparency that's needed because blogging has sort of taken this uh, this turn toward, you know, hey, I can be anonymous on the web, I can say whatever I want, I have my own printing press, uh, so, you know, people get on Facebook and they'll say things they shouldn't, that they'll regret, you know, that's, quote, in the real world, which, as we know, mm-hmm. is not a real thing, I mean, the real world is the internet, the internet is the real world, and... There's been this misconception that I can push that post button, and that information I post to make public belongs to me because it's on my Facebook wall. And if I make it private, then it doesn't really exist. But like I said, the Franklins can print paper. It's going to get out somehow. And Facebook is essentially saying we want this system more than anything to help the web lend some credibility to what's going on. We want people to know who is saying what. We want to force you take responsibility for the things you choose to publish and say because before it would have taken hours to set a printing press and to ink up all the, the letters and print something. Now all of that happens in a split second by clicking post and it's a power that I think a lot of us aren't comfortable with and you know like I said back to the, the whole generational gap you know people weren't used to doing that 50 years ago, 60 years ago. They were no, right. used to turning on the TV to so getting the newspaper in the morning and be told what to think. Now the whole concept of I'm going to put myself out there, it's scary, and I'll talk, you know, maybe my parents or someone
0: but,
2: else I know. But we're told what to think by people that really held that responsibility in an incredibly high regard. Right, right. Right? Even even if, even journalists back day, you could not tell what their political leanings were. Mm. Right. They kept it secret. It had to know? be. It had yeah. to be. But right.
4: not, anymore. Right. not anymore. Not anymore. No, not anymore at all. And I think it's it goes, like, I'll talk to my parents or other people their age, Um, who will not understand, like they'll say, well, you know, I don't want to put myself out there because then anyone can find me. Like I don't want to publish information about me because then people can find me. First of all, I have to remind them that, you know, there's
0: a billion users on
4: Facebook and your (laughs) information is out there people don't care about you necessarily. I like it,
0: right?
4: (laughs) But then at the same time, just the idea of... Putting yourself out there instead of just consuming media—it's—it's it's like an operational shift. It's different from what you're used to. It's
2: different. I, my my parents, I I joke with my dad all the time because he's he's a total conspiracy nut, you know. But he's like, I'm not doing that damn online banking, and I'm like. <laughs> You're not gonna log into your account that's already there, right? Yeah, right, right. It's <laughs> the <data laughs> the already there. It's all out there. Your you money know? does not have gold somewhere. Yeah, it yeah. has lines in a database. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah. exactly. Um, I, I'm gonna. Uh, all right. I, I was trying not to, but <laughs> but I think you're full of shit on the Facebook stuff. I I think they're th- this ideology that somehow they're this bringing transparency to the world. Bullshit. <laughs> I think, the case, but I I
3: think the they're time.
2: trying to I think they've done a terrible job at, at at destroying the web and making it one central place to pull everybody into so that they could sell that data, so that they own that conversation and sell that data. I think if, if they truly believe <laughs> in transparency and accountability and everything else they would be open source, and they would everybody would be able to host it on their own servers.' hand a good
3: point. I think that, if, you know obviously, you know, he's an Ivy League educator. Yeah. He has a business to run. Whether or not he's an nice job at that or not, is probably up for some questions. But, but then However, that if that you look back then
2: say, "My business: purpose of my business is this." I'm not saying that he doesn't. Here, I think you get more understanding of what the authority.
3: purpose of his business is, his mission is, if you look further back. Like even in the book, we talked about a little bit about kind of what their mission was back Don't in the day. Quiet. Don't go quiet. no no. I'm, yeah.
0: I'm, what 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 they said
3: back then was, and he's been very honest about it. He wanted to push people to be more comfortable with sharing as much as they could online because he felt that was the right thing for people to do in order to understand each other better. Why did it now, go I will say this. Obviously, as of Facebook. Selling that information to other people also makes them an awful lot of money. Um, But you have to look at how slow he he came to actually doing that advertising and how, honestly, how poor of a job they've done with it. If that was really their core focus.
2: But but wait, they could be poor because they had tons of investment funds, right? Now there's an expectation Mm -hmm. of profitability, so now it's starting to seep in and it's and it's you know I, I, here's 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 a raw one that i'll give you that just really chaps my ass <laughs> <laughs> is, is if you really want us to share your facebook update pay us $7 and we'll display it on everybody's yes, right wants. and i will t- well, okay so that's that that so here's the
3: thing yeah, with the, with, the, with, the, with the, the, the the paid posts from a brand perspective I would admit, I'm going to admit, I'm kind of behind it being used at, in certain particular Don't disagree. times. I am not super comfortable with that same thing being given to individual users. Yeah. I have tested it. Matter of fact, I tested it for the first time today. Yeah. However, I've got to tell you, I felt kind of crummy when I hit that submit button. It didn't feel right as an individual, whereas as a brand, I would do it all day yeah. long. Here, here's yeah.
5: my
4: thing. Here's my thing. I've been I've been mulling here, and and even what we chose to write about in the book, I don't disagree with anything yeah. you're saying. I think to, to suggest that what Zuckerberg is saying is completely pure and not without its financial reasons, yeah. that's that's stupid. Mm-hmm. I, however, am not interested in that. That's yeah. my thing. I don't really care if you know that's their business model or not. All I'm interested in the fact, I'm interested in the way that Facebook is playing a central role in shifting how people think about the content they choose to publish on the web. Whether or not that's driven for business reasons, that's another discussion. I didn't want to write a book about that. It goes to your
2: original point with your book, what is the best method to get this message to the masses? Facebook happens to be one of the best ways. Yeah, and and we really really
4: see that as a a correspondence to the original newspapers and the earliest publications like that. This is a way to just keep track of what's going on in the world, and now you have the power to do it yourself. And I think you know, regardless of the motivations of the organization to make money, uh, the fact that in order to make money, they have to force people to be transparent, it's interesting because there is a lot of resistance, especially like I'm saying with older generations, to to let people who they don't want on their Facebook seeing what pages they like or what they do. But it's it's just working to sort of create this shift in people's minds from your Facebook profile is your personal property to this is a freaking newspaper on the right. internet. Yeah. You are putting things on the internet that are going out there for the express purpose of being consumed by other people. Right. So it's not yours to say it's mine. It's not. You know, there's a difference between your hard drive or even a cloud server that you're serving, saving your company documents on
0: yeah. and
4: a social network whose purpose is to display your information publicly for other people. That you're not
3: paying for. Right. Yeah. Hold your are I mean, that gets, gets to it as well. You know, if, if you are an individual user on there, you're not paying money. You are paying in information. Exactly. You know, you're, which is just you're as much another, up, another
2: currency. Yeah, you're giving up privacy, and that's your currency. Right, exactly. Let's, let's take a break. We'll be right back.
1: Formstack, an online form builder that has become a leader in creating, managing, and hosting online forms, is your solution to data collection. FormStack provides small businesses and nonprofits an easy to use form building tool to easily collect and manage data. Create surveys, order forms, and event registrations with no web skills needed. To learn more and register for a free 14 day trial, visit FormStack.com.
5: Outside the box, pushing the envelope. Back to the drawing board. Thinking in new ways means doing in new ways, and it's hard to work creatively when you rely on old tools. Whiteboards, sticky notes, and endless email threads only get you so far and don't work if your team is scattered across the globe. At MindJet, we offer the tools for more vibrant and productive brainstorming. MindJet puts your ideas into a visual framework in terms people can understand and shares it with anyone, anywhere, anytime. Work fast, work smart. Go to mindjet.com to learn more.
2: All right, we're back and and we're offline. We're just talking about a couple of things, but here's what here's what I'll say is I think um, the the problem in Twitter's going through it right now as well. The problem that I have is that these guys start with this free model. They start with an open API. They start with all of this this stuff and they they get the masses on board. And then they start shutting the doors. And then they start opening the revenue floodgates and everything else.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: What what I really and and it's and it's not necessarily their fault, I'm not I'm not saying that. But we need a different model. We really need a model where someone comes out with a platform that says, Here's how we're gonna make money
0: mm-hmm. and
2: and here's how it benefits you. And if you I think the, the problem is is that you set an expectation. You set a behavior. You set this thing in notion. It, it would be like if, if Google said, you know, well, Gmail has been free all these years, and we love you guys, but you know, from here on, you know, we're going to start charging twenty-five bucks a, you know, an account or something.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: The, the, but instead, the problem, what did they do with that Gmail? Instead, what they did is start
3: reading your email and sure. serving you ads on top of it. Instead but of from it. day one, it makes me feel queasy. From
2: honest. day one. Right, they did that from right. day one. It wasn't a surprise that they added later. That's my, I guess my problem is I, I feel like, I feel like Facebook never had the business figured out. They, they didn't. They, they I would
3: never, agree with that. They I never had. That. I mean, them. you're talking about a couple of kids in the college right. dorm room. They right. didn't know what they were. They were so, like,
2: so now they're trying to figure out where can we suck money out of this because, you know, we have shareholders that are that are adding. Well, that to me is the dirty part of it. Hmm. Is is You know, had you come into this, had you gone, before you went public, said, here's X, Y, and Z that we're going to do to grab revenue from the masses and everything else. Here's what you're going to see in these upcoming changes. Here's why we need $250 million in investment so that we can change the platform this way.
3: That would have been a a great time to frame your new story, Yeah, coming into the IPO, saying, hey, yes, we have shareholders' expectations here – you know, there's been this rumor going around for years, every six months, saying we're going to charge you to be on Facebook. Yeah, it's not right, and they they got that on the front page.
0: Yeah. It said right.
3: free always will be free. Right. but maybe there is a dot 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 yeah. there that yeah. they didn't fill in. I like. tend
4: kind to of be naive when it comes to things like this. I think, <laughs> admittedly, but I, I do think that if you look at the context of when Facebook evolved, when it came up, um, you know, Friendster is is supposedly going to IPO. MySpace is supposedly going to IPO. These are companies that have been around for maybe a year. Yeah. At the time, and, and it, they are just the hottest thing in the world. Zuckerberg, you know, and I, I'm admittedly seeing things from the social network playing in my mind right yeah, now. Yeah, sure. um, But he's sitting there saying, this is this is bullshit. This is not how people want to connect. You know, it's not about throwing up uh, a song that automatically plays when you look at someone's profile. Like, people just want content. content. They just want to see each other. They just want to know mm-hmm. who each other are. And so I think that, you know, regardless of where it's gone, he could have never known at the time what Facebook was going to become. Because initially, it is... His campus was, network. We are going to make something for this campus that's better than what's already out there. We're going to make a, a new way for people to connect because people want to—they want to connect. They want to see each other's pictures. They want to hook up. This is what they want to do. So we're going to make that happen. And you know, you look at the way that it spread the college model. We're going to go school by school until eventually uh, they had to cave and let everyone on. It just—I think it got out of hand. And is this another one
3: of those situations yeah. where the? You know the, the 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 end user kind of molded the vessel. You know he wanted yeah. to make one thing. and really Then he has not only the you know Facebook user, but also the Facebook shareholder, and all of a sudden, it's, oh, this the, this is that.
2: so the content's fitting. that's all the content spinning. He's dealing with two stories at the same exactly. time. <laughs>
4: exactly. Exactly. <laughs> I think even three. If you look at like the whole Napture effect on Facebook, you got that whole rebel, we're going to fight the cause, we don't care about the man aspect going on right. too. But then. You've also, that, that also is tied in with the whole capitalized tale. It's trying to make money off of this. It's,
2: and so I, and I don't, work like I said, I don't have any problem with them having a a monetary, you know, type thing. My my problem is this slow kind of infiltration that we keep learning after the fact what is, about what, is, what are you doing now? Wait a second, what are you doing? You know
4: And I think that's why if I, I want to rein this back into the storytelling a little bit, because we've been on your stuff for a little while
0: now.
4: <laughs> but I think that's why the book, the only real advice we ever give, we don't ever say you should do Facebook one way, you should do Twitter one way. The only advice we ever give is to just know your story. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's it's you know, and this is something that I talk about whenever I have a, a speaking engagement or any time to talk to people. Anymore, when it comes to marketing and content marketing, so many people miss the mark because they're so focused on creating, like like, like Mad Men would have done back in the day, like Don Draper, they want to create a reality for you. Yeah, they want to create right. a story to put you in. When social media allows you to simply share your story, what that is, it's not something you have to build. Your life has built that, or the life of your company has built that, uh, and now you need To share it, not create it. And So the only advice that we gave in this book is just know your story. Be clear on what Mm -hmm. it is you're trying to say, on the people you're trying to connect with, and you're going to be fine. You're going to be fine (laughs) unfortunately if Facebook decides to read through your your inbox and send you stuff because you are being true to yourself. Don't publish stuff that isn't true to your story. If Mm -hmm. your story is nothing but Drunken encounters that are going to get you fired from from your workplace, and that's fine. Publish it. it like crazy. Yeah. Do it.
2: Or don't. Or, or, or don't. just
4: don't do it. No exactly. one's making you. And I think a thousand years ago, uh, 2,000 years ago, telling a story was a much more difficult thing to do. You had to have a platform. You had to have an education. You right. had to have the, the resources to do it. And not everyone had a printing press. Not everyone had a working knowledge of language to the point that they can actually write something down. Um, you know, it's argued that Homer might not even have even had an alphabet to work with and had to invent one himself. And that's probably mythology, that's probably lore, there probably was language, but <laughs> it, it, the
2: point is... Not not Simpson, right? Right, not <laughs> Simpson. <laughs> <Okay>. Although... Oh, <laughs> <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, but uh, we to take it down. I completely lost my train of thought. <laughs> but the point is, you know,
4: you had to have certain, you, you had to have certain resources to publish things, and so there was a lot more thought that went into what you chose to publish.
2: There's, there's, yeah, and and I I would say, you know, one of the things that I try to tell companies is. Not every company should be telling a story either, though, right? I mean,
0: it, it's
2: not a one you know, this is a perfect fit for every company. Right, right.
3: right. There is some, no, such a, there's no such thing.
2: Some companies get into trouble by telling a story and people finding out. It's not their story.
4: It's not
0: their story,
4: <laughs> yeah. Oh, and, you and know? Hell, beyond that, we don't even think about the fact, like with my company, with Methodomy yeah. Media, there's an onus because I'm working with marketers, and we're storytellers, and we have a very different business model than a lot. I mean, you don't hear of a group of creative writers with lit backgrounds who are writing stuff. It's not common. It doesn't happen a whole lot. So you'd think that we would want to be out there telling our story as much as possible. That's what we do. We're we're storytellers. We should be telling people who we are. We should be blogging like crazy. If you go to our blog, you would be disappointed because there's not a lot there because number one, we're too busy working for other people. And number two, when you are that busy, it's really hard to convince yourself that it's worth marketing. And I think we forget that as well, that you know, maybe for me, telling a story isn't something I need to do because I'm busy telling it for other people. So yeah. what's mm-hmm. the point?
2: And I, I, I totally have, agree. I have a question for you. Did, did we ever hear much about content marketing before social media?
3: I don't know that we heard much about content marketing before nine months ago. <laughs>
2: Well I, you know, I think as, as it I think today, as a as a term As a term, wise, no. As know, a,
3: as a as a practice
2: yes, forever. White papers no, around means, forever. Use, You know, um books written about companies Caesar. You know, yeah. It's all something about why this social phenomenon is so important
0: content.
4: I think what it tells me is that it's just a bigger playing field. There's no longer one storyteller is the the thing. And I think when you're trying to explore that phenomenon and say what happens when the entire world is one giant printing press, um, you have to come up with words to deal with that. You have to come up with, with schemas for talking about that. And a structure not just for your stories, but a structure for talking about your stories. Right, I don't know absolutely. if that answers your question.
3: I think, that, I, think well, answer. no, I think that that one yeah. is absolutely the case, and also I think that as more of us have access to publish our stories, it makes more, uh, us all more conscious of what our stories are, yeah. it makes us massage that brand more, and it makes us create labels that go along with that, because now we're not living in a world of Don Draper and a couple people in the office creating a brand message to distribute to the people, we are living in a world where everyone knows Don Draper is in that office creating a message, and they're doing the same back to him. Right. You know. Yeah. If we have to keep our jobs by not ranting about our bosses on Facebook every
4: day, we are in effect. We're marketing Just as ourselves, much of a marketer as any marketer is, we have a brand, and that's our. And
3: we live in an age of marketing, and that means that we create more labels related to how things relate to
2: marketing. Well, it, it, again, it relates to your story, the the book, absolutely, and that's that. You have to. Speak to the audience in the language that they understand. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I think the big one, you know, that a lot of people have a rub with right now is inbound marketing, and we've we've heard you know the good and bad from both sides of the argument. The fact is, it stands. It's a it's a term that HubSpot, you know, imaginated,
5: <laughs> you know,
2: imagined, um, and it's a. I think it's a good term. I like. I like. It. I like I like the visual that it brings, and the fact is, is that as soon as people started talking about inbound marketing, we adopted it. Absolutely. Because if you're a customer that's looking for inbound marketing services, I don't care about the definition of inbound marketing, those are the exact services that we supply. So, exactly. if that's what you're looking for, then I'm going to say,
3: yes, we, we, we supply g- we that. gave. The- we took something that had already existed we rearranged it into something no. that's a little bit new because of the medium
2: I wish, and we had to give it a name i wish <laughs> i wish that content marketing was the definition back when web blogs were were took off because we have such a hard time getting people to take a blog seriously right. that word you guys you get you guys are all young <laughs> <laughs> that word seven years ago literally made people giggle. Yeah. You know, they were like, applaud. You yeah, know, you know bring uh, this,
4: to bring this full circle, it's the exact same thing that you talked about Shakespeare doing. Yeah. And I think the disconnect is in our education and in our view of how storytelling has happened forever. Because when we sit down in high school and we are forced to read Much Ado About Nothing or whatever. Yeah and we see Shakespeare saying these phrases that he invented we don't even realize he invented them because the teachers don't take the time to tell that and beyond that yeah. we don't understand that you know sonnets weren't written because there's this universal law imprinted on the, on the world that sonnets are a thing and we should write them you know but that people created that medium they right. they made it their own they figured out that this is a good way to tell a story and they decided to do it uh, it's argued that Homer if he was a real person was the one that first took all of these oral stories of the Trojan War and of the hero Odysseus and created for them a, a structure that makes sense on paper, that makes sense so that it can be said again and again without it changing every time like it always did before. And so people will criticize people for using terms like inbound marketing or whatever. I'm sitting here going, I don't care what you call it. If you want to pay me to write for you, let's do it. because. That's what people have been doing forever, even the Shakespeare's of the world. We're saying, call it what you will. uh, If you're going to pay me to write these plays and put them on for you, I'm going to use that as an opportunity to really just say what I want to say and really add some beauty to the world and tell a story, and there's a motive there. There always is. There's a point there. there, Every story, if it's not changing you in some way or banning something from you, it's not really a story. And so you call it inbound marketing. You call it... Uh, blogging, you should call it content marketing, you call it whatever you want. Just
3: know what it is you're labeling. Yeah. Have a common remember, language that you can use and know what it is that you label. Don't, you know. Yes. It's not a brand new thing. Understand the history from which it came. Remember
4: that people have been doing this forever, that that's Correct. what story, just call it storytelling if you want, because that's really all it is, and it's, but it's okay. It's okay to make up new terms. It's okay to try new things and use new medium. It, it, it's okay to use Twitter to tell a story even though you think it's not good enough for it. It's only 140 characters. You Sometimes 140 it.
2: characters takes a lot of talent.
3: I know, right? It really
2: does. Yeah. And we have a whole chapter on that in the book that we haven't even
3: touched on, by the yeah. way, <laughs> so.
2: Well, speaking of which, we're, we're coming near an end. Where can people find the book?
3: You can go on Amazon.com uh, and just search in there for Nothing New, and it should pop up right there. The full title is Nothing New and Irreverent um, the History, history of storytelling, storytelling and Social Media. You can also go to nothingnewbook.com. Or find us on Twitter at, at Nothing New Book. There you go. Yeah. And uh, exit now. Where can people find you guys
2: online?
4: Um, you can find me on Twitter, just at Ryan Brock, R Y A N B R O C K. My company is Metonymy Media. Uh, I'm not going to spell that for you, I'm going <laughs> to let you learn that word on your own. You can find metonymymedia.com or on Twitter at Metonymy
2: Media. Yeah, I, I was in touch with a company this, this week in the UK. They're called. Neo Mamanimal. Wow. And I was. I was I, I, They're an infographic company, and I was like, I'm not, not even. I don't gonna, even
0: know yeah. what that yeah.
3: is.
2: At least my words are real literary. <laughs> <theory>. Copy, <laughs> paste. Copy,
0: paste. Yes, <laughs> exactly. All
3: right, you can also find me on Twitter. I'm at Muhammad Inc. That's M U H A M M A D I N C. Um, and then you can find HCC Medical Insurance Services. By all means, check them out next time you are going abroad for any type of vacation or trip. Um, we provide travel medical insurance. It is at
2: hccmis.com or same acronym on Twitter, Facebook, etc. All right, last last anecdote that I got to tell just because it's killing me. So I had I had a teacher in the I think it was the eighth grade, Mrs. Ray Kelly. And she was from Ireland, and she was this little petite lady that found just gold in everybody's content. She just, when someone wrote a book report, she would find one gem in everybody's stuff and get everybody excited. Now, in eighth grade, admittedly, I spent more time in the alleys around school than I did actually in class. I was not, not a great student at all. But she happened to love like a couple things that I wrote, so I I really got this writing thing. I was just like mm-hmm. you know amazed by it. So then I, I she wound up she uh, she left for uh, she she was having a child, so she left and stuff. I wound up going from an A to an F in her class, uh, which was really funny. Um, wound up passing after all. Next year I get this gentleman, Mr. Morgan. And he's British now. I'm up in Vancouver, wow. and he's ah oh, loves Shakespeare, theatrical. He's very boisterous, everything else. And I'm a clown, you know, in the class, and 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 so I get kicked out of class pretty much every day uh, because I'm making you know uh, phallic you know jokes about Shakespeare and 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 everything you know whatever came to mind. And one day I'm sitting there in class, and, and, and he and he says, does anybody know of a tool that, that Shakespeare uses in his writing that nobody really utilized you know, to, to that day? And so I raised my hand, and the immediate sigh. Like, you know, uh. oh, no, you know. <laughs> Not and Doug. he says, uh, Mr. Carr. And I said, well, he uses oxymorons. And he goes, and he sighs again. And he goes, Mr. Carr, do you even know what an oxymoron is? Uh. And I said, of course, it's the juxtaposition of antithetical terms in an expression. <laughs> <laughs> and you the car. get out of my
0: head. <laughs> <laughs> and I still got class. <laughs> <laughs> so with that, we'll uh, we'll close this off.
2: Everybody have a great great day.
1: Connect with us anytime at marketingtechblog.com. And from there, follow us on Facebook and Twitter. Thanks for listening to the Marketing Tech Blog.